Our Father, we are grateful to be alive again today. What a privilege to experience your world, the world that you created, that you designed, that you have gifted to your children, that you have invited us into to participate in ways that honor and glorify you. And we, your adopted sons and daughters, come together as a family in these moments to say, speak, your, your children are listening. We need your help to understand who we are and what you've intended for the world and how to interact with it. And we are supremely grateful that you are a speaking God that equips us to answer those questions and to step out into the world. I pray that today you would open our eyes and ears and hearts to receive. I pray, God, that you would tend to us in these moments and that as we open the scriptures and we ask questions about biblical femininity, I pray particularly for my sisters right now that you would be active in their hearts and their minds, encouraging and strengthening them in your beautiful design for them. And that we as a community would be built up and encouraged as we receive your word and walk in it. So Holy Spirit, come. Do what only you can do. Um, Making the truth plain to us, applying it to our hearts and shaping us into the likeness of your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week we started a little mini-series, it's three weeks, that is kind of completing our journey through Genesis 1 through 11. Genesis 1 through 11 we called Origins, we worked through that rather quickly, and then we doubled back to the early chapters to, to really zoom in on anthropology, what does it mean that we're human, and in understanding what it means to be human, we're talking about what does it mean to be man, and what does it mean to be woman, and what does it mean for man and woman to come together. So last week we discussed Biblical masculinity. We said that the men in the life of Jesus' church are called to be spirit-filled warrior poets. Men that are tough and tender. Men that reject passivity and accept responsibility. Stepping out to initiate and to establish order in such a way that others can flourish under their care. We established a a high call for our men in the life of the community last week. And this week, looking at the same early chapters of Genesis, exploring anthropology, we want to ask some questions about biblical femininity. What is God's intention and design for women? I just want to say to the women in our community, I... I understand. I've, I've sat with many of you. I've, I've heard stories of places and ways that, that some of these texts or ideas being applied hastily or over-applied have, have either wounded or, or left you feeling less than. And I think that's a great disservice in the life of the church. So I just want to say... I'm sorry if that's you and that's your past. And as as we enter into these chapters, I just want you to know that I've been praying for you and that you would 
together under this text hear God's good design for you, that he intends beautiful things for you, and that in fact, it's as we as men and women understand what he has intended us for, that we together can exercise a dominion of dependence, which we've been talking about last week and over the last couple of months, that we together as men and women, when we understand who we are, we can image God properly in the world. And I believe that these texts and understanding them, particularly in our moment in time and our place in time, it is a path to liberty and freedom and fullness that has been confused and it's for that reason that though I, I'll admit, I would welcome your prayers. This, this is like uncomfortable territory. Like I, somebody said to me, I, I'm, you know, I'm, this is probably not the sort of thing you, you like to preach about. And I was like, yeah, that's fair. This isn't like something that I'm just aching to do, but it's something that I think before God I'm responsible to do. And so I, I enter in gingerly, but also confidently because I think this is good for us as a community. So I want to follow a similar outline to what we did last week. God's design, he has beautiful designs for the glorious distinctions of femininity. And then we want to explore how that is thwarted by sin, how that gets twisted by sin. And then we want to look at how that is redeemed by the goodness of the gospel. Okay, women and their unique feminine glories are made for relational stuff. They are made from relational stuff for relational stuff. And uh, I want to explore what does it look like that uniquely femininity is created for, for relationship. Um, I, one other note as we're plunging in. I am going to start a conversation, not finish a conversation. I meant to make this note. We're going to talk about this in house church in a couple weeks. And so just know that there's going to be lots that I don't get to this morning, but I hope you will continue the conversation and community. Um, I'm going to give the big ideas in hopes that it stirs something up in our souls and that we, we work out together in community. And this first idea of being made from relational stuff for relational stuff starts with this, this, this realization where we, we left the story last week that Adam has now been created and placed in the garden and he has been given a unique command in his masculine energy uh, that we were talking about last week to work and keep the garden. Hey, establish order, initiate, work, keep, establish the parameters and allow this, this place to flourish under your, your care as a man. And Adam is doing that work, but in that space, there is a relational lack. It is the first time that God says something is not good. He says, it's not good that you're alone, Adam. There needs to be relational health within this system that you are establishing and initiating. And so he says, there needs to be something else for mankind to fully image God's good character. And this, it, he initiates in, in Genesis 2 and verse 18, when it says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. This is our first clue that biblical femininity is established by God for a relational end. That he, he, he says that the man is in need of this partner and he calls her a helper. And helper is in no means a derogatory or lesser term. We need to do just a little, 
a little double click on it in the Hebrew to make sure that we see this clearly. This is the term ezer. It's used 21 times in the Old Testament. Four of the times it's used in the prophets and it means someone was no help. They are not a helper. So it's oftentimes idolatry or another nation. They are no help. So that's kind of its own little category. The other 17 times, it's actually used around this word, to be a helper. Two times in this text of a wife with her husband, a woman with this man that she was made for. The other 15 times, it is of Yahweh himself being a helper for Israel. So the only two people in the Old Testament that fulfill this role effectively are a woman in a relationship in a marriage and God in relationship with his people. So before we allow the term to be thought of as lesser or not, not as strong or not as meaningful, we need to recognize that Yahweh himself 15 times in the Old Testament says, this is a role I play for my people. And I think if we're gonna understand what that role means, an exploration of those, of those texts is really helpful. I don't have time to do a dive on all 15, but what I've done is just, I've worked through them again this week and just identified kind of three buckets they fall into. That how does someone fulfill the role of Isaiah, a helper? And I think as we see the way God does this, we can understand some of his intention for designing woman to fulfill this sort of role in the world. You follow me? We with me? Three simple things. These are, these are kind of beginning to flesh out for us. What does it mean that a woman is made for relationship? These are the ways that God is in Azair. One is that for the people of Israel, when he specifically calls himself their helper, he is being long-suffering and gracious with them. They have forfeited the right for him to stand with them, yet he continues to show them grace time and again. And when God comes to Adam and he says, you need relational warmth in the system. This is not good that you try, to, you try to initiate and do this work in the world. It's not good that you do it by yourself. You need someone that stands with you that is gracious. So this would be the invitation to the single men in the room that if you're longing for a woman that would be fully God's design for you, I would pray for and pay attention to the sisters in the life of this church where you see them displaying grace. Where do you see them when they are, when someone kind of cuts them off metaphorically, mistreats them? A woman that is beginning to live into her design is a woman that, that doesn't hold a grudge and is not bitter. She's gracious. This is the first way that Isaiah takes shape. But it's not just that. A woman that is able to show grace and to stand with someone even when, even when maybe they've, they feel like they could be cultivating a, a root of bitterness, but they're choosing not to. That's the first way of Isaiah. But the second thing is that it gives way to loyalty. That feminine energy designed by God as an Isaiah is uniquely displayed in loyalty. This is that idea of, of like cultivating long-term relationships, standing and being in the gap for a long time with people. Single men in the room, if you're praying for and longing for a bride, I would, I would invite you to, to pray for and to consider women who have long-term relationships. They have a group of women around them that they've weathered storms together. They've offended one another and mistreated one another and they've continued to be with one another. I would say it's a, it's a, this isn't like a dating seminar, but I'm just giving you some free advice. 
where a, a woman says, you know what, I, I'm just, there's too much drama with girls. There's always drama. I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of one of those girls that likes to hang out with the, with the guys. I just only have guy friends. Men, I would say that's like a, that's like a yellow flashing light, maybe a red flashing light. Be aware. If long-term relationships are not cultivated with real loyalty, part of living into the feminine identity as designed by God is to be in his heir. And he fills it out with his own character saying, it's going to look like grace that gives way to loyalty, that can fight through and cultivate long-term relationship, loyalty. And lastly, selfless, selfless. Uh, God is most consistently functioning as an Azair when he is not thinking about himself. He is, lay, he is going low in these passages and he is serving and upholding sacrificially Israel. He's tending to them in that way. And, and so I think, um, like I said, this, is, this won't all be dating advice, but uh, for our singles in the room, the last note. As you, as you think about women, what it means to be in Azir. The invitation is to, to consistently be willing to serve and to go low. This is, this is a woman, young men in the room, this is a woman that's not always waiting to be served. This is not a woman that looks over the lowly. For instance, if you're out in a group at dinner, watch the way that, that a woman deals with the people that fill up her drink and are waiting on her? Does she pay attention to people? Is she, is she sacrificial and low, paying attention to and saying full of gratitude that there's a certain sense in which God is initiating relational warmth in the world? This is what he's initiating with the creation of the beauties of femininity. He wants there to be relational warmth in the world. And he says, I'm gonna build an Azair for you. And an Azair is gracious and loyal and is service-oriented, allowing there to be warmth in the system. This is what you need, Adam, he says. And then interestingly, the glories of biblical femininity displayed in being an Azair, it's as if God surveys the landscape with Adam and Adam names all the animals and they're looking around and nothing is found. And God realizes that this sort of glorious, distinct femininity it's going to require that he builds it out of different stuff. I want you to see this. He, he builds the woman differently than everything else that has been made in the world. She's made from something different because she is made to introduce something different and beautiful into the created order. Did you see it? Did you see it in verses 21 through 23? She is made from relational stuff for relational stuff. Look at verse 21 through 23. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs, and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Do you remember what the man was made out of? Yeah, dust, like dirt. I mean, I think there's something to this. <laughs> Men are made out of dust and they're called to work and keep a garden. 
They're made from the stuff of the earth and they're given a task to do. The woman is made out of a person and she's given a person to love. She is made from different things with a different aim that together beautifully image the fullness of the character of the triune God. It's as if God has surveyed the whole landscape and he said, I haven't made anything out of the right sort of stuff that's going to inject my relational warmth into the fullness of the created order. And he says, I'm going to do something that's different than anything else I've done in all of my creating. I'm going to make a woman. This was dignified and beautiful and glorious, a portion of God's character that hadn't fully been displayed and experienced is being introduced to the world in such a way that Adam goes, I got to sing a song. (laughs) He goes, oh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Like there's nothing like her in all of this. This unique creation of glorious femininity, it is distinct It is different and it is beautiful. Woman is made for a relational aim. I just finished the book uh, Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. She describes it as a, uh, pardon me, as a a feminist manifesto for women at work. And uh, there was so much about it that I was really struck by that was instructional and helpful for me. I didn't agree with all of her conclusions and quite a few of her presuppositions I would disagree with, though a really great read. And in it, one of the things that I found so compelling, and I totally agreed with her on, she said one of the reasons that women need to be in, in, she's talking about the C-suites and large companies, because she herself has led in these, in these rooms. And she said, one of the reasons that women's presence in space like that is so helpful is that women always think in terms of we, not I. That's her explanation of, of, of the kind of the feminist perspective on why a woman in key roles of leadership brings something that men don't bring. And what she's saying is women show up and they think relationally. And it was so compelling to me that I've been sitting with the biblical text going, ah, I think this is exactly how God's designing a woman from relational stuff for relational stuff. He's designing men from the stuff of the earth primarily for this initiation of task and order. And together they're going to image him beautifully. Now, listen to me. There's, there's scope and scale on this. And this isn't like bold, clear lines. You follow me like, Men think relationally and women think task, but generally God's, God's creating these, this, this ordered relationship. And here is Sheryl Sandberg saying, you know what I found time and time again is that men are so task-driven and they're thinking in these ways, but having women that create warmth and community in the system, it changes the way decisions are made. I found that really compelling that in her book she was saying, I think what the book of Genesis is telling us from the very origins. Women are made to think we, to inject relational warmth. And it's for this reason that when you arrive in Genesis 3 and verse 20, I love that Adam, he he names his wife generally woman. He names his wife specifically in chapter 3, verse 20, Eve. And this is what he says, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. What a title. 
the mother of all living. I think in part he's speaking in the obvious way that a woman is going to be required for the bringing forth of life. And this is This is part of the beauty of femininity that we can't run too quickly past. It's not the sum total of femininity by any means. And in fact, I think it becomes analogous for something much grander and bigger. But it certainly is in part this. Women have the miracle of a womb, and we can't miss this. That what God is saying is uniquely designed for the miracle of life. He's going, that's special. And in that, you know, there's this amazing reality that I think it becomes analogous for the way that this woman is partnering with him to bring warmth and wholeness to the created order. That it's not just physically bringing forth the child, it's creating the warmth and the context within which life can flourish. Now, this isn't a perfect example, but it's my example. Before I got married, I lived in this little guest house, and it was rough. Uh, Not the house, but the way that I was living in it. You know, it didn't smell very good. Uh, The only thing in the cabinet was a bunch of bananas, a loaf of wheat bread, and a jar of peanut butter, and that's all I ate, because it was easy. And I had paper towels. And now I, this says more about all of my weaknesses and sin than it. But I will say this: what I didn't anticipate that in welcoming Ashley into my life, that every part of my life was going to be richer, fuller, warmer. Every part. I didn't understand the beauties of marrying someone so distinctly different from me because she's so distinctly feminine. My life is shot through with beauty and warmth. It smells better. <laughs> like, it should. Thank you. <laughs> You're not lying. She, she brought warmth into my world. And the way that when Adam was looking at the world, or pardon me, when God was looking at the world and Adam in a flurry of activity is working and keeping and setting parameters and initiating and engaging in activity, God's going, yeah, 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 good, 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 incomplete. We need the fullness of my character displayed and you just being about establishing your order and creating a direction and moving forward in all of your masculine energy is not the fullness of my image. That's not the fullness of my personality. There needs to be warmth and beauty and life and the context by which life can continue to be created and that is going to require woman. God has glorious, distinct designs for femininity. One final note before I'll move on is this. We are laboring to honor God's design for masculinity and femininity in the life of our church. We think that this is intended to be displayed in the home and in the household of God. And and so one of the ways that we've done that here is that we have male elders that are trying to establish order and parameters and direction, prayerfully leading and initiating in the life of Jesus' church. We believe that the Old Testament and the New Testament together call us to that. One of the ways we have failed is in raising up the strong voices of our 
disciple-making sisters to speak into that community. And I just want you to know that this weekend was a retreat that's a part of a year-long process that we're engaged in called our Kalos Track, raising up godly women that raised their hands in response to this call to our gospel partners and said, we want to be a catalyst for disciple-making among strong sisters in the life of this family. And so we got to spend the weekend together as we're processing this. And, and in time, out of this community, there will be a group of women that are meeting with some regularity with our elders, speaking back into the system talking about what's happening in our preaching calendar and decisions we're making. Because one of the things that we know is that it is men and women together and all of their giftedness that allows the fullness of God's character to be displayed. And we want to get better at doing that. I think Cheryl Sandberg is right (laughs) that having the voice and the input of gifted, godly, robustly feminine people speaking into the life of the household and the household of God. It's crucial if we're gonna see the fullness of the glory of God displayed. God has made women from relational stuff for relational stuff so that the fullness of his character could be displayed. This glorious intention is twisted and thwarted in the text And it's particularly at the point at which, the point at which Eve begins to prioritize her feelings and desires over God's word and God's design. I'll say that again. The point at which this glorious design and distinction gets thwarted. It gets twisted in such a way that Adam and Eve and men and women are going to experience tension in what God designed to be made for flourishing and joy, the reason that's going to happen is the moment at which personal desires and feelings begin to trump or be prioritized above God's word and God's design. Let me see if I can show this to you in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We've read this several times. Um, I don't have time to work it slowly, but I just want to highlight a couple things for us. Look back with me at this text if you would. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Translation, isn't God holding out on you? And the woman said to the serpent, no, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that it was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and she gave to her husband who is with her and he ate. In this moment... All that God has designed for order and structure in the life of his good creation is inverted. Adam is called to establish order and to lead. He's to work and keep this garden. That's his role. And within that, Eve is brought in to inject relational warmth into his life and into all so that there can be flourishing of life. And they together are to exercise a dominion of dependence over the garden and over all of the creatures. Yet, the serpent speaks to the woman leading her and she turns and speaks to the man leading him and all that God has designed gets 
It's the first role reversal in God's intended design. And in this, there is a thwarting, a derailing, a confusing, a twisting of the roles. And there are ongoing ramifications to this, that by the time God is establishing the way that sin is going to affect what is happening between men and women, in chapter 3 and verse 16, he says this, speaking about a husband and a wife relationship particularly, he says, I will surely, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you will bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. You see, it's at this point that we, we realize that there is now tension where it was intended to be wise and loving leadership, gracious, loyal, relational warmth, together functioning for the good of all the created order. Now, the woman's desire is for the husband. She's, she's longing and trying to kind of wrestle for authority and direction. And this man, rather than lovingly tending to and overseeing, he starts to try to rule. And now it's a, it's a fight. It's tension shot in. It's everyone trying to get theirs. And it is comes from the twisting of God's design for relationship. Um, I'll just, as a, as a trailer, next week we're going to talk about particularly oneness. We've talked masculinity, femininity. Next week we're going to talk about the resolution of that relationship. What does it look like for men and women to come together in a way that honors God? So I'm not going to fully delve into that. But I just want you to know that's where next week is going to situate itself, is right there in that tension. But for our purposes, what I want us to hear is this, that the Azair that God has designed to come in and to support and to bless is now wanting to exalt herself, wanting to say, no, I need that position. I need that role. Um, let me say this. Uh, I think it's important to note here, this is not, this is, very, this is very specifically a husband with a wife. This is not all men with all women. So we're not saying that God's designed that women are under the authority of men generally in all spheres. It's not what God's saying. What he's saying is that in the household and in the household of God, so that the triune character, father, son, and spirit, perfectly relating within himself, so that God's character will be displayed to the world, the way that men and women in the life of the home and the life of Jesus' church are going to arrange themselves, it's going to display God's glory to the world as they fulfill their unique, distinct glories. This is God's design at home and in the church. So it's thwarted because now there's tension. Now we're both jockeying for position. I do a lot of marriage counseling and we can call it all sorts of things. It's consistently this reality. It's, we clothe it in lots of different things, but the tension is that we are not together fulfilling the roles intended. Men are passive or they're angry, they're disconnected or they're overbearing. They're not living in this gentle yet 
respectful, responsible place before God. And women, as a result, are either demeaning and disrespectful or they're just saying, you're not going to do it, so I'll do it. Get behind me. And all of a sudden, there's just all of this tension. And the question is, how in our homes and in the life of Jesus' church do we experience redemption, particularly redemption of godly femininity? Femininity is restored, is redeemed, where submission to God's authority is gladly embraced. It's redeemed where submission to God's good authority is gladly embraced. And what I mean by that, I I think we can look back to Jesus' life from the very start all the way through and understand how he is helping us understand the redemption of this reality. One, from the time that his mother was told that she was going to be pregnant with him, we see she she embraced her glorious femininity in order to bring Jesus into the world. That something that we have wrestled with in the Kalos track and something that has continued to stir my heart up with affection for God and for gratitude for Mary. In Luke 1, verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This is just after an angel told her that your life as you know it is about to be over. People are forever going to assume that you are engaged in immorality, that you were pregnant outside of wedlock, and you're gonna, you're gonna, it's going to be a death to yourself to bring Jesus to bear in the world. And in glorious femininity before God, she says, I will gladly submit to this. I will, I will willingly receive your intentions in this moment. And Mary, by being the mother of all living, like in the same way that Eve, she brings forth Jesus in this way by adopting this this posture. And then beautifully, Jesus, last week some people asked me, like, okay, you're preaching on masculinity and Jesus redeems masculinity, but because Jesus was fully man and fully God, does he also help us with femininity? I think it's really important that we realize that Jesus filled different roles in his ministry. As it related to the church, he is the groom with the bride and we see him initiating and wooing and winning and establishing order for the good of the church. And in so doing, we see the beauty of glorious initiation, masculine tending to the bride, us, his people. As we watch Jesus interact with the father, we see him responding as a, dare I say, a, uh, a helper, you know, that Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the helper. Jesus together, they are submitted to the will of the Father, fulfilling what God has intended as he establishes order and beauty in the world. And the Son injects warmth and relational connection that we see the Son as he's relating to the Father, redeeming the portion of God's character that is displayed in femininity. What I mean is this, Glorious femininity received under the authority of God's direction. Even at at the end of Jesus' life, Jesus sounds very similar to to his mother in Luke 22 and verse 42 when when he says, oh, that this cup could pass from me, but God, not my will, yours be done. He is responding so differently than Eve did in the garden when she, she was led by her eyes and her desire, not the word of God and not his design. And Jesus comes in and everything that he sees and he desires is different than what's in front of him, but he's willing to submit to God's design and order and word in a way that produces life 
it erupts from this place. He is, in a sense, creating the womb that allows rebirth to happen in his own death and resurrection. That is the space by which all rebirth is going to occur. It is the relational warmth created by submitting to his father's good plan. I'll say this. Men and women in this community, our eyes are on Jesus to become fully human. And in becoming fully human, it is a gendered experience. And we get to dignify that and bring life to that under his grace and goodness because together we display his character to the world. I want to share something that I wrote a couple of years ago. Um, you may have heard it from me once before, but I think it's, it's pertinent in this moment. I envision a community, a community of strong, faithful women, women who bear fruit in every area of their lives, their gentleness and modesty and humility and quiet spirit adorns the gospel for all to see. I see single women whose head is Jesus and who do not use their beauty and their sexuality as a weapon that cause men to fawn and to stumble. Rather, they live in purity and devotion to Jesus, knowing that he is sufficient and that a godly husband and the call to motherhood would be a beautiful gift if God would provide it. I see married women who submit to their husbands as to the Lord, not as those lacking a quality, but as strong helpers who are deeply committed to the flourishing of their covenant partner. I envision mothers sacrificing joyfully for their little ones, gladly stepping into this unique feminine glory, costly though it is, raising their little ones in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord so that they, like arrows, could be released into the world as individuals displaying God's grace and glory. I see older, reverent women who are actively teaching younger women what is good, helping them to know how to cultivate life starting in their own home. I envision a community of men. Men that are bold and engaged. Men who are leading themselves with discipline and self-control and integrity and vulnerability. They are tough and they are tender. Men who take responsibility for themselves and for others. Who work hard. Who guard and keep the hearts of the women and the men around them. Where Adam was silent, they speak. Where fear demands them to retreat, they courageously advance. Where cowardice and folly demand bravado and intimidation, they are present and they are available and they are tender. I see single men that live in the light, walking in purity towards their sisters in Christ. I see them pursuing women for the right reasons and in the right ways. And I envision a generation of young fathers who delight in their uniquely masculine calling to shepherd a family. They get to create culture and to teach truth, gently disciplining and patiently teaching their children, sacrificially loving their wives as they wash them with the word to present them back to God, spotless and without blemish one day. Can you see it? Like a beacon of light in a shadow land, the Christian community ought to be a community where we understand who we are. 
We are to be a picture of how men and women can embrace their unique God-given callings, united as a family of redeemed brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters who are holy and unified, taking cues from our older brother Jesus as we all aim to glorify our Father in heaven. Being raised up in this family gives us clarity about our identity and clarity about how to love the other members of this household. This is the dream that we will experience in real time as we embrace our call to biblical masculinity and biblical femininity. Amen and amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it creates speaks, it directs. I pray that where there needs to be repentance, that there would be. I pray that where there needs to be encouragement, strength given, that there would be. Um, And I pray that where this word is a challenging word, or, or that right now one of my friends or my sisters in the room is frustrated or chafing. Um... I pray that this would be the sort of community that is marked by tenderness and vulnerability and open-handedness to say, God, come and move in our midst and continue to strengthen us. Help us grow towards mutual understanding. Holy Spirit, be a light that, that continues to guide through the shadows and through the confusion. I pray rich blessings on every man and every woman in this community. And I pray, God, that you would receive glory from the way we order our lives and walk out our callings. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.